This week's episode is brought to you by GN Ferraris, certified public accountants and consultants. In today's economy, you need a roadmap. Let GN Ferraris help you navigate through and stay financially secure. Long Island will open tomorrow. We're going to bring on the last of what's called the tracers uh, who do the contact tracing after testing. And they'll be coming online today and Long Island will open tomorrow. They, each region has a regional control group. I've spoken to many of the county executives across the state who are key on these regional control groups. And I said to the county executives, watch the numbers. When you see a cluster of cases, jump on it. That was Governor Andrew Cuomo, and you're listening to The Reopen. This week, Long Island Association CEO and President Kevin Law. He is one of six appointed members to the Long Island Control Room, monitoring key health metrics as the region begins to reopen. Recorded Thursday, May 21st, days before the governor announced Long Island will reopen Wednesday, he shared his perspective on where we are as a region, the need to get reopened quickly, and what the future might hold for small businesses. I'm Grant Parpan, and this is Episode 3, a Control Room Q&A with Kevin Law. You are an important member of the governor's control group for Long Island. Tell me about that group and what its purpose is. The governor divided up the state into regions when he formed the Regional Economic Development Councils. Each region of the state sort of has a uh, distinct economy. We're all linked to one state, and Long Island has a lot of uh, interconnectivity with New York City. But sort of each region is different. And similarly, he looks at the state uh, in terms of 10 different regions when it comes to this COVID uh, crisis. And so Nassau and Suffolk counties are the Long Island region. And what he did was he created these 10 regional control rooms is what he's calling them for the Long Island regional control room. It is made up of uh, both Nassau and Suffolk County executives Myself, the head of one of the largest labor unions out here, John Durso, uh, Long Island Federation of Labor, and Tracy Edwards, who is former Huntington Town Councilwoman and the head of the Long Island chapter of the NAACP. So it's the five of us on the council, and we have a captain. Uh, the captain is Eric Gertler, and Eric is the commissioner and CEO of the Empire State Development Corporation, which is very, very involved in determining which businesses are deemed essential and non-essential for this COVID crisis. And the primary purpose for the control room, and we meet every afternoon, every day, and that is we are looking, um, we have to monitor the healthcare metrics. The state has set forth seven different healthcare metrics that each, each region has to meet in order to reopen. And so we're monitoring that daily and um, I'm hoping that we're, Long Island is given a green light soon to reopen because I know people are growing very, very impatient. 
all throughout the region, especially on the East End. Yeah, I'd like to talk to you about that inpatients in, uh, out here in a moment. Talk to me about the seven metrics um, and where we are now with the seven metrics. Well, you know, the metrics um, run the gamut and they're all healthcare metrics. One is a, a 14-day decline in total net hospitalizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is a 14-day decline in hospital deaths. It's based on a three-day average. Another one is new hospitalizations, and they need to be under two per every 100,000 residents of our region. And then there are some that relate to hospitals themselves, including the beds that are available. 30% of the hospital beds need to be available, including 30 percent of the intensive care unit beds. They they run the gamut. And then there's one related to each region uh, has to hire tracers. Because once we reopen, the concern is going to be, well, there may be a spike in infections. The state health department strategy. And remember, I don't make up these rules or laws. I'm just uh, helping to uh, implement them. But uh, And I'm not a physician. Uh, or a scientist, it's likely they'll, they'll, there will be some uptick in some of these metrics. But the goal would be, once somebody is infected, to identify that person and then trace who they've been in contact with. So then the healthcare, uh, the Department of Health can contact them to let them know they may have been exposed. And then hopefully those people will self-quarantine so to the extent they were infected, they don't infect anybody else. And that's how you suppress the growth of what is anticipated will be a spike once people start doing and going back uh, to normal. And then each region has to hire or uh, have a certain amount of tracers depending upon the population. And we need to meet a specific number of them as the last metric in order to reopen. So Nassau and Suffolk counties are very busy designating either government workers, and this could be at the town and village level out in the East End as well, as well as the county, especially a lot of government workers who are not allowed, you know, they're not deemed essential. You know, some government workers, just like the business community, some are deemed essential and some are not. So for some of the government workers who are not deemed essential, converting them to be tracers as well, at least for the near future. And until we have the requisite amount of tracers, we're not going to be open, allowed to reopen either. So that's what we're working on now. And it's sort of the primary focus because the healthcare metrics will be what they will be. And uh, they're all trending in the right direction now. But the traces is something that we need to do as a region to make sure that we have. We don't want, it would be terrible if we meet all the healthcare metrics and don't have enough traces. And so that's something we sort of can control on our own. And to the extent we don't have enough, the state will then hire these tracers and uh so hopefully by the time we get the green light to reopen we will you know uh the traces will be intact and we'll be allowed to move forward while a lot of those traces will be current government workers they'll just be repositioned the state will be hiring others right. and the state will be paying uh 27 an hour 
all these tracers. They need to take a five-hour John Hopkins University certification course that they could do online. And they'll have a supervisor appointed to them and they'll be trained on how to do this work. So um, maybe uh, given our high unemployment rate too, may actually be a uh, possible employment opportunity for some people out here. Phase one cannot open until all seven are met. Correct, correct. And uh, that's another thing that the state has established. The reopening is going to be done in four phases. And so we have to start with phase one. And you're right, we have to meet all those seven metrics. And it's envisioned that the next phase, meaning more businesses will be allowed to open, would be phase two, which would be approximately two weeks in between the different phases. We need to make sure that the metrics are still being met and that there's not a spike. And that's the concept of these regional control rooms to monitor that because you know, the governor uses the illustration of turning on a valve as you begin to reopen the economy. But that valve could also go, unfortunately, the other way if the healthcare metrics begin to spike and the region no longer meets them. And that's something we obviously don't want to see happen and need to make sure it doesn't happen. And that's not anything really the government can do. That's going to be incumbent upon all of us to be safe still, to practice social distancing still, uh, to use masks and gloves when proper and necessary still. Right. And uh, continue to do a good job washing hands and using hand sanitizers. Uh, so we all play a role in making sure we don't backslide as we try to progress into phase two, three, and four. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of frustration, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, in terms of getting phase one up. I'm hoping uh, that by the end of next week, if... N- if things continue to trend in the right direction, that we can be open. And so like, uh, in terms of your viewers, when they're watching this, you know, uh, today is May 21st as we're taping this. Right. Um, and so I'm hoping by uh, before May 29th, we can enter into phase one. And then, Kevin, what tells you that you're able to go from one to two? and then beyond. What do you need well, to see in between? Um, we just need to make sure that the metrics aren't spiking so high that we fall out of the compliance with the seven metrics. So in other and words, so, there's no separate guides with or metrics between them. It's, the, it's just sticking to the health metrics that gets you from one to two, two to three. Correct. The, correct. the state's not going to continue to raise the bar in between the phases. We just need to make sure things aren't getting bad and then we can enter into the phase two and then phase three. We've been reporting it uh, in our papers. There's so much frustration build up, almost a resentment. Grant, my colleague, uh, went into a beauty salon the other day out here and they were holding up the Constitution uh, as a means of, of kind of uh, saying, why can't we stay open? We're going, you know, we're hurting here. How much of that are you hearing in your, your group? How much are you hearing about this kind of not just um, impatience, but real bitterness. Every day, every day. And I hear it from family members. I hear it from my neighbors. And I hear it from my colleagues. Um, So every day, 
emails, texts, phone calls. Remember, I don't make the rules. I've just been uh, appointed to um, help. I'm trying to be an advocate for business. Every day I'm advocating. I believe Albany should allow more businesses to uh, to open now, Um, not even waiting until we meet the metrics for phase one. I believe certain businesses should be deemed essential. I fought for more agricultural farms and horticulturists and the landscapers to be allowed uh, to work, which impacts the East End significantly. Residential construction and home remodelers should be allowed to be working now. They can practice safe work conditions and social distancing while working. And so uh, every day I'm advocating uh, for some. And I, I can't advocate for everything because there are certain things that just don't make sense at this time. We're not going to all go to City Field and have 40,000 people that uh, watching a Mets game. Packed bars and restaurants don't seem like that'll happen, but I believe it's not unreasonable that we should allow outside dining to occur now, especially when it can be done in a safe way, using more plastic and paper plates and utensils and uh, wearing masks with the help. There are things that we could be doing. Every day I'm advocating for a reasonable request to expand the amount of businesses that can be open because I hear it every day, the frustration. And some, in fact, um, the arbitrary nature of some of these rules that are going out. I had this woman call me up uh, three weeks ago. She was an acupuncturist. She provides pain relief for people. I've never been to one, but I know, I know what they do. And she was like, Kevin, why can physical therapists be allowed to be open and be deemed essential and not us. And it's like, you make a really good point. I don't really see the reason for the distinction. Last week, acupuncturists were included on an amended list of essential businesses. Advocacy can work for some industries, not all. But when you talk to people out here, again, the North Fork, as you know, Kevin, is so dependent on tourism and the hospitality business. The other day, I was talking to someone who owns a a very prominent fish market on the North Fork. With all the restaurants closed, his business has been sliced down to literally a small market. And it's a family business. They've had it since the 1920s. To say that they're worried about this business being able to continue after two months of very, very limited revenue would be, you know, quite an understatement. People are scared. It's not just scared. They're terrified. Again, I hear it. I see it in my own main street here. Uh, I live out in, in St. James. People are terrified. They don't know if their business, even once it reopens, if it's going to come back. And you're right. We need to be doing everything we can to be helping these businesses now. I get the public health concerns of this pandemic. I've lived through it. My wife's mother, the grandmother of my children, passed away three weeks ago from the COVID virus. I don't, I'm not diminishing the healthcare aspects of this at all, but the economic impacts are terrifying. Um, and especially for small businesses, whether or not they're going to be able to make it is a real concern. And so I'm, I want to open as quickly as possible. I think we need to open as quickly as possible. I can't change the metrics that the state has set forth that we need to meet, but I'm going to continue to do everything I can to make sure that we can open as quickly as we can. One of the places that is scared to death uh, or terrified, to use your word, which is very accurate, is Greenport Village. Um, it's a small village, uh, small streets, five-foot sidewalks, very, very popular in the summer. 
a hot Saturday afternoon, the place is packed. A lot of those businesses um, have landlords who want the, who are not lowering the rents. A lot of them are completely dependent on people coming in. They can't go in. Uh, people in Greenport, longtime residents, people like Dave Capel, who we had on our podcast last week, are extremely worried about what will be there when this when we finally get through the phases. What will become of Greenport, which has seen such a renaissance? The Greenport is uh, one of my favorite places on all of Long Island. It wouldn't be the Greenport today without all of the hard work that Dave Capel did as mayor there. Um, he did a tremendous job in helping to revitalize it, and it is. It is the, uh, it's the Brooklyn of Long Island. It's the place <laughs> everybody wants to be. And I know they are going through severe economic concerns right now because they primarily rely on the tourism industry for the survival of all of their shops. And I'm not uh, just talking uh, about Claudio's and the larger uh, places. It's all of the smaller shops on Main Street. And I know Dave is working with the uh, Village uh, Fathers uh, right now on uh, trying to amend uh, the code to allow for sort of a reconfiguration of Main Street to allow for more sidewalk activity uh, so merchants can begin to open. And I'm very supportive of it. I think it could be a model for other downtowns uh, throughout Nassau and Suffolk County. I think it can be a model used in other downtowns throughout the region. But you're worried about the future. Uh, uh, listen, I'm worried about the short-term future. I'm worried about uh, the long-term. Short-term, we need to do everything we can to help the small businesses reopen. Think about it. The North Fork is not very different than the rest of the island when it comes to the amount of small businesses that we have. There are approximately 105,000 businesses in Nassau and Suffolk County. 93,000 of those, 93,000 of the 105,000 have 20 employees or less. We're very, very much a small business economy. And now those 93,000 businesses employ about half the workforce on Long Island. So the other 12,000 employ the other half. So it doesn't diminish the importance of that other, you know, uh, that other size of the workforce. Right. But if we just focus on the smaller industries, 20 employees, think about them. They don't have an HR department or a finance department or any significant cash reserves. You know, some of them maybe have, you know, some, uh, you know, reserves, but most don't. Most are living month to month. And the owner is the operator, is the bookkeeper, is the CFO, and is the HR person. And they have so many challenges. Also, in terms of federal assistance for these small companies, in the eyes of the federal government, a small business is up to 500 employees. We only have, we only have a handful of businesses on Long Island that have more than 500 employees. And so um, in the federal government's eyes, the entire Long Island region is a small business. But we know there's a big difference between Cannon, USA, in Melville that has 2,000 employees versus a small shop in Greenport or in Kutchog or in Riverhead. 
Um, there's a huge distinction. And I, I think all of our, when I say our, I, I think all of the public efforts at the federal, state, and county level needs to be focused on these smaller businesses for the short, short term, because many of them are not going to survive without it. And to that end, Kevin, has the uh, pre- payroll protection program, so far anyway, what are you hearing from businesses of how easy it is to get in? Are, are they getting what they need? Is it successful? What needs to be changed? Well, I think uh, one of the things I, I lobbied for with uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, who was at the negotiating table, and um, I, I believe, based on the statistics that I just gave you, that 50% of the funds from PPP and any future PPP programs should go to businesses with 20 employees or less. Perfect. Again, in the, uh, in the federal government eyes, the ice cream shop down in you know, Riverhead or in Mattituck has to compete with a company on Long Island that has 498 employees who may have long-term relationships with several banks and may have a CFO and a legal department who could cut through all the bureaucratic, you know, uh, red tape to access the loans. And they sort of have a leg up on the smaller guys. And so I think that's where the focus should be. And lastly, where do you think we'll be by the fall? I'm optimistic the worst will be behind us by the fall. And even if there is what's known as a second wave, you know, what people are referring to as a second wave, I think we'll be smarter this time. And I think we'll have some systems in place to be better prepared to handle it. One thing I encourage is the hospital beds that the Army Corps of Engineers built at Stony Brook and SUNY Stony Brook and SUNY Old Westbury. Don't take those down. We may need them again. Keep them up. Keep them up until, you know, until there's a vaccine. I don't think we're going to all feel really confident until there's a vaccine. And I use the word confident because I think that's the key. Until people have confidence, they're not going to get sick. A lot of people are not going to want to go to work or they're going to be afraid to go into shops and places of business. It's incumbent upon businesses to take necessary steps to protect their employees and their customers. That will generate confidence. I serve on the board of the MTA. The governor put me on that last year. We had a board meeting yesterday. Until we create confidence, riders aren't going to go back on the trains and the subways and the buses. So we need to create confidence for the employees. And we've lost 125 of them, more than any other entity in New York State. And for the riders, we need to create confidence. And so until there's a vaccine, people aren't going to have the ultimate confidence. But I think we could create confidence. And here's where I think the government needs to give Long Islanders, our residents and our businesses, credible, you know, some credibility in terms of we sort of know now what are the smart things to do. We get it. None of us want to be sick. We don't want to see our employees sick. We don't want to see our customers get sick. But give us a little trust. Trust us a little bit. We're going to take the right steps. We're going to make sure our place of business is safe as best as we can. We're going to make sure our workers have masks. We're going to enforce and make sure our customers or our clients coming into our businesses also have you know, masks on or gloves, you know, whatever necessary. But trust us a little bit. We can do this. 
And none of us want to backslide into another quarantine. So we're not going to be stupid, but trust us a little bit. We'll get this right because it's in our self interest to get it right because we're desperate for some uh, optimism. And again, Long Island, our region has been through some terrible things in the past, whether it's a nine 11 or Superstorm Sandy, um, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. We'll get through it smartly, safely. Uh, but we need the government to sort of trust us a little bit. To, we're going to be able to do the right thing. Don't, don't, don't hold us back. Next time on The Reopen. Try and find something to rent on the North Fork. Everything is taken. We're going to experience a population growth, I think, at least in the short term. They'll have consumer needs, how to satisfy them, what their preferences are going to be. That's, you know, that's the challenge. New York City residents and part-time North Forkers have head east to quarantine from the pandemic. What type of long-term impact might that have on real estate, schools, and their businesses as they begin to open back up? The Reopen is a product of Times Review Media Group. Read the stories each week in the Riverhead News Review and the Suffolk Times. The podcast is hosted and mixed by me, Grant Parpan. This week's interview was done by Steve Wick. The opening music by Admiral Bob 77 was sourced through CC Mixter.